I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Fresh episode of Fish Bites. You know me by now. It's Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, but I've got a ton of company on this special special podcast episode. We will be discussing the candidates for our Marlins Hall of Fame, the first of its kind, getting started this year during the delayed season. The inaugural class, the class of 2020, gets inducted this summer, and we got the fan balloting open right now. So get to it. If you're listening to this, make sure to go to fishstripes.com. It's got all the info about how you vote, how you spread it around. We want as many people as possible involved in the process. And before all that information got out to the public, we as a staff made some internal decisions about the players that should be under consideration. We have four different guys from Fishstripes joining me on the pod, one at a time, that are going to help us break down this whole situation and uh, you know give their perspectives on the different players and even the non-players that we're going to get to at the end of the episode. So on the call today, we have Alex Contreras. What's up, guys? How's everybody doing? Great to have you here, brother. A returning guest from earlier this year, a couple months ago, it's Anthony Red Garcia. Hey, guys. How's it going? Alex Krutchik, Tyler. Hey, guys. How are you? And checking in from the West Coast, Tyler Wilson. Hey, what's going on, Fish Stripes Nation? I'm here to defend Kevin Brown's honor. So, <laughs> Kevin Brown, someone that is not 
necessarily on our ballot this year because of reasons that I'm going to explain. Laid out some guidelines when I was putting this together. Just some backgrounds. The idea probably came to me for the first time like a year ago, you know, understanding the lack of Marlins representation in the big National Baseball Hall of Fame. But I got to credit on Twitter, uh, the account Fish Army 305. They were the ones that really put the thought back into my head just a week or so ago. And then I got to work, you know, narrowing down the candidates. We initially had a list of close to 80 names of players in the Marlins history that should be under consideration. The staff came together. We narrowed it down to 22. So those are the guys that are on the ballot that's gone out to the fans and public for them to choose. And first with the position players. These are the position players that are under serious consideration to be involved in this class of 2020. Alphabetical order by last name, Miguel Cabrera, Luis Castillo, Mr. Marlin, Jeff Conine, Cliff Floyd, Alex Gonzalez, Charles Johnson, CJ, Mike Lowell, JP, Juan Pierre, Martin Prado, Hanley Ramirez, Edgar Renteria, Gary Sheffield, and Dan the Man Ugla. So I want to start with, with Anthony because among the staff, we had these three guys that finished in a tie for the highest voting percentage among the staff with uh, Miguel Cabrera, Jeff Conine, Gary Sheffield. All three of those guys were close to unanimous. All three, I don't want to vote for any of the fans, but they're all three likely going to get in to the hall. Which of those guys of Miggy, Jeff Conine, Chef, do you think is going to finish with the highest voting percentage? Who do you think is going to be the most popular guy overall once we get all these ballots counted? I'd say Miguel Cabrera. Uh, most likely the fan favorite everywhere. Uh, just a great guy. Never had any issues here five years. Uh, I think he's all around. He's going to be the top vote getter for sure. Anybody else? What do you think? I mean, it, personally, for me, in my heart, man, it's a, it's a close race between Miguel Cabrera and Gary Sheffield. Before Miguel Cabrera came into the picture, Gary Sheffield was everybody's fan favorite, man. The guy was swinging for the fences. He was the John Carlo before John Carlo. You know what I'm saying? Everybody wanted the chef on deck. Um, personally, you know, I, I, I feel a little bit conflicted because Miguel's on the, on the list right now because he's currently one of the active players still on the list. Everybody else is pretty much retired. But uh, hands down, yeah, Miguel Cabrera, man, Hall of Famer for sure, greatest Venezuelan ever. And what else can you say, man? Is it going to be number 20 or is it going to be number 24? Which one are we retiring? Into right field. Back is Garcia at the wall. Home run, Cabrera. 2-0 Florida. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention one of the guidelines that we put into place here was for the most part, almost all these players are retired, but I also set this threshold that if you're three calendar years removed from the last game you played for the Marlins, that would make you eligible too. So all, all these guys that uh, haven't played since the beginning of 2017, and that means that all the guys uh, from this most recent rebuild that were traded at the end of 2017, Stanton, Ozuna, Yelich, D. Gordon, they're not eligible yet. This is going to be like a long-term project. We're going to have new eligibles every year. Those guys will be eligible for the first time next year in 2021. So if people are wondering why those guys are missing, then um, that's the reason why. Um, the same question to uh, to Krutchik. What do you think? Who do you think is going to be the highest percentage vote getter among those position players that we laid out? Well, 
I, I honestly think that I got to agree with Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera was the original Giancarlo Stan, kind of like what you guys said earlier. And he was also one of the faces of that 2003 team. Remember, Miguel Cabrera, didn't he come up in the middle of that season, right around when the Marlins started turning things around? His yes, very sir. first game was a walk-off home run. And that's how he introduced himself to Miami. And you still see people walking around with Miguel Cabrera jerseys at the ballpark. I think that he is one of the few players that people still identify with despite not playing for the Marlins in, what, 12, 13 years? Yeah, yeah, 12-plus years. Yeah, absolutely. These guys broke my heart when they traded away Cabrera. That's the only time they really got to me. (laughs) Yeah, and I want to bring in Tyler here because – Tyler, you had a pretty unique ballot when we were voting internally. You were definitely a small hall guy. And, in fact, I don't think any of those guys we just mentioned was was on your ballot. Uh, so I want to get an idea of what you were thinking in terms of the standard of the players you wanted to put into this class. You know, know knowing that it's only the first class in this exercise that, that anybody that didn't quite get in is going to have a shot next year as well. But it, I'm wondering what your philosophy was when filling out this this ballot internally. So for me personally, um, I really wanted to make sure it was a small hall because I don't want to set the precedent ever that just having some individual accomplishments for about a four-year span should get you actually into the Marlins Hall of Fame. Uh, For me, I didn't vote for Gary Sheffield um, just because he didn't really have that much production really in Florida with the exception of the 95 and 96 season. I mean, and 97. He had that great span where he was one of the best uh, hitters in baseball. But for me... He didn't push me into the edge where I should call him a Marlins Hall of Famer. And then with Miguel Cabrera, I was kind of in the same boat. I think Miguel Cabrera, I think he's had moments that should be in place in the Marlins Hall of Fame. So the things that he's done should be in the Hall of Fame. But he came up in the 2003 series uh, in the playoffs in midseason, and he won the World Series. But past that, he didn't really do much for the other four years he was there. And that's not on him for his lack of playoff success, but more on the team. But really, he just put up great numbers, but it didn't translate to a long-term success. Um, and then my number one guy who I think will actually get the most votes would be right there with Miguel Cabrera would actually be Luis Castillo, um, who I did vote for. He was my only hitter that I actually put on there. And that was for him actually having the long-term success that he was able to have in the Marlins uniform, just constantly hitting you know, right around 300 and getting the job done as what I believe would be sustained success for a long period of time as a Marlin. Um, the argument for Cabrera, you said he didn't have, uh, wasn't he an all-star like four times in Florida? He was uh, four, four times. Years. in his, his only four full seasons all-star each of those years. He had a 313 batting average, multiple playoff moments. I mean, it was only one, it was 2003, I get it. But I mean, to set a standard, I think he's the standard for Florida baseball. I mean, somebody yeah. said that still people wearing his jersey. I mean, I, I can't imagine a Hall of Fame for Florida, Miami, whatever, without him in it. I agree. Gary Sheffield also bit. played in Miami for six years. If you look at his stats, he had 122 home runs, 380 RBIs. I mean, this guy was the main reason the Dodgers traded for him and for Charles Johnson. If Gary Sheffield didn't give the green light, Charles Johnson wouldn't be an L.A. Dodger. And if you guys really look deep into it, Gary Sheffield only said yes to that contract was because he was looking out for his guy, Charles Johnson, and he also had a clause in his, in his contract saying that he also had to be the highest paid player no matter what, 
no matter who they signed. Even if they signed Babe Ruth, they had to re-sign Gary Sheffield for a dollar more just so he could be the highest paid player. So um, looking at the stats overall, man, Gary Sheffield, he was there for, for most of his career. The, the most amount of years he spent was in Florida. Dude, those were that. Like, I'm, I mean, you're going to look at the numbers. I mean, yeah, sure, you know, over six years he was great, but how many times was he extraordinary? Like, I mean, you got the two seasons where he was one of the best hitters in baseball, really, but even even on them, the 95 season was a little shortened. So, for me, his 96 season was his best career year as a Marlin, but is that that's it, though. Like, you're not – I mean, it was great that he was really good while he was in Florida, but does that make him Hall of Fame worthy for the Marlins? I think we got to look more past the season numbers. We got to look into the postseason. And the few times that these Marlins had made it into the postseason, we got to look into Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield making a significant defensive play in the outfield against the Cleveland Indians to save a World Series. He also had key hits during the World Series. So I think we got to look beside the season stats, and we also got to look into the playoff stats as well. I think that's one of the key elements that we're going to talk about further on along. That's going to make Hanley Ramirez have his case against an Alex Gonzalez or an Edgar Ramirez. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that catch. We shared that on Fist Stripes recently. I think last month his son was talking about it for whatever reason, Gary Sheffield Jr. And, yeah, that was like a pivotal one in Game 3, I believe, of the World Series, and it was on the road. And Tommy with a drive. He's hit one earlier. Sheffield's going back. Sheffield to the wall with a leap. He caught it. The play of the series. The play of the World Series from Gary Sheffield. Well, this is a high fastball again. And, I mean, he drills it to right center field. And Gary Sheffield times his leap perfectly here. See, he's falling all the way, knows where the wall is, and he leaps up and makes the catch. Well, there are a couple reasons why, but that's one big uh, deterrent as to why he's not in the National Baseball Hall of Fame is because analytically, if you look at Sheffield, one of the best hitters of his era, like, period. But defensively, like, he's had this reputation for being a liability down there, and the stats definitely back that up. And definitely denigrate his overall value and uh, but if you look at what he did when it counted defensively it was a pretty huge one uh i mean right right behind those other guys there are some other players that i i think are going to get in such as hanley who uh, unfortunately played during a time where he didn't get a chance to compete in the playoffs uh and mike lowell was another one that definitely had a lot of longevity and he, he of course did have that big role in the 2003 World Series run. So I imagine he's going to get in even as an individual player, not as extraordinary as some of those other guys. Um, but who I wanted to bring up, and uh, I forget whether it was Contreras or or you, Anthony, that was really vouching for Alex Gonzalez, who had a lot of longevity with the team. But that was me. yeah, it was, uh, take that whatever direction you want with him because, like, offensively, he had a lot of limitations, but he was there a long time. And he is, he's still, like, attached with the organization right now in, like, an ambassador role. But uh, why do you think he belongs in the Hall? Well, I actually got in a debate on Twitter with a couple of people. And by the end of the debate, a lot of people actually decided to jump onto my side of where I'm at with this. So we know he's a World Series champion. He's also a one-time All-Star. His career war is 9.2. 
He was a starting shortstop from 98 to 2005, so that checks that box. I believe it was you that told me that he's actually the leader of games played at short. Yeah, his lowest fielding percentage, because we also we love offense, but defense counts, guys. His lowest uh, fielding percentage was 0.955. And for the big moments that everybody loves, those big moments, besides the walk-off in Game 4 of the 2003 World Series, he actually hit the tying double in Game 5, which brought in a run late. And without that, who knows where the series goes. He basically won us those two games. So that's my argument. I think the standard of Marlins is him. We would all take those numbers right now from any shortstop we get. Yes, his batting average was 245, and he did struggle early in the playoffs. Um, I think that's going to be a big thing in voting, by the way, the older guys versus the younger guys when it comes to who remembers what. But he did struggle early in those playoffs. But as a career, the, he set the bar as a Marlins shortstop. He was an amazing defender. And I I think he should get it. I know it's not the prettiest player, but that's my argument. That That's a question that I have in the fan balloting. Is I, It's an optional question. I'm not making people answer it, but I asked when they became a Marlins fan. Uh, I mean, for some of them, they're not even old enough to have seen the beginning of the franchise. And so that I understand. But I want to make sure that like people don't skew the voting out of ignorance, even if they're not trying to be mean. Yeah, you, you just get that naturally. Is it's that recency bias. And that's why in the process that we put out, the, the players that played in what I call the Miami era, where most of their contributions were 2012 or later, there's only a few of those players anyway. But I made the threshold a lot higher for them to get in because I don't want people to be adversely affected by just something happening recently. Because Chances are the younger guys are the ones using Twitter. So the older crowd isn't most – I mean, everyone probably has a Twitter by now. But in general, it's a younger population using Twitter. So are they going to vote more for the old three guys versus the 97 guys or the younger, the older guys that, yeah, people like me remember, you know, I remember I saw them growing up, but will the younger guys remember or they, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. One other thing I wanted to touch on right before we move on to pitchers is uh, some, anybody you thought may have been snubbed from this position player group, because I put in that guideline that I wanted players to have spent at least three seasons with the Marlins, not even three full seasons, but just like appeared in three major league seasons for the team. So that doesn't include a lot of the free agents they had. It doesn't include Carlos Delgado. It doesn't include Pudge Rodriguez. It doesn't include anybody else that had really quick stint with the team. Throwing it to anybody out there, if you think uh, there's any player, any hitter specifically, just the hitters, they had like a really short stint with the team, but you know, is still someone that we should be rewarding for that. Vote for Alex. I, I actually have something about that on Alex. So you said something very important to me, and I was like, "That's this is kind of why I went small ballot. You said he was like the bar of a Marlins shortstop. And I think for a Marlins Hall of Fame, do you actually want the bar to be what is considered for the Hall of Fame? Because to me, I, you got to consider it so extremely special to make that Hall of Fame. And the bar for a shortstop I don't know if that cracks it enough because are we just going to see another Alex Gonzalez at some point? And then you're going to set the precedence. you got someone like Alex Gonzalez in. So you're going to have to let the next guy in as well. With all due respect, I see where you're coming from. I I completely understand where you're coming from about setting a bar. But when it comes to the Florida Marlins and the Miami Marlins, you got to talk about the history that how long we've been around for, right? We haven't been around 
as long as the New York Yankees or the St. Louis Cardinals. These guys have a lot more rich history than we do, yes. But in the short-term history that we do have, we got to be grateful for the guys that have stood out. The guys like Alex Gonzalez, why do we keep talking about Alex Gonzalez? <clears throat> we don't keep talking about Alex Gonzalez's stellar defense. Yeah, he got uh, short snubbed a couple of times from gold gloves. That's fair. He wasn't the best batter. But when the guy would get hits, he would hit key doubles, key home runs. And eventually that's what ultimately he did. He helped us get World Series. And at the end of the day, that's what really counts. And I think if we look at this Hall of Fame ballot, you got to think about as a fan, as a Marlins fan. You got to think about these guys, who are the guys that you're voting for and what they did for you and for your fan base. And Alex Gonzalez might not mean the same to me as a Marlins fan as it does to somebody else as a Red Sox fan. But I know that that Red Sox fan appreciates the defense that Alex Gonzalez provided for the Red Sox as much as I did for the Miami Marlins. I just think people forget, man, how, I mean, he was the lockdown shortstop in the playoffs. The reason they never took him out of the lineup to put in someone when he was struggling, because he was he was having a rough playoff postseason. It was ugly. The reason they didn't take him out is because you saw what happened when one shortstop make, you know, makes a bad play. The whole series is over. Look what happened to the other Alex Gonzalez in the Cubs. He made two errors back to back, and we ended up having an eight-run eighth inning or whatever it was, and we ended up uh, winning game six. So to me, the reason they didn't take him out was defensively. And to me, we got to think about defense too. And he was the defensive shortstop for the, for baseball. He was your prototypical, uh, your prototypical era ERA, or I'm sorry, your, your prototypical defensive era shortstop. Back then, your shortstop was known as a defensive guy. If he got a couple key hits, great, crazy. If he didn't, you can live with it. I remember lots of times that I used to get frustrated with Alex Gonzalez because he would swing and a miss, strike three, swing and a miss, strike three. But with all due respect, I'll take that because I knew he was going to save me a couple of runs during the game. He was going to make some great diving plays. He was going to swing it over to Luis, Gonzalez, uh, Luis Castillo, and they were going to get that great double play. So at the end of the day, Alex Gonzalez, he did a lot for the, uh, the, the Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins. Thank you so much in the past, in the present, and in the future. We we spent a lot more time on Alex Gonzalez than I thought. Uh, Sorry, bro. He had, a, he had a mixed reception within the staff, so if the fans are going to have to go really hard for him, like close to unanimous. You know, when we combine it together to get him over the top. So if you're a big fan of what he meant to that team, then make sure you support him because uh, he's got a shot. He's got an outside shot at breaking in, and even if he doesn't get in, he's going to be on the ballot in future years because definitely a, a divisive case that he has. Not a divisive player. He's a very popular guy. But uh, a guy that definitely has his pros and his cons with it. We're going to transition over to the pitchers. Um, there's out of the 22 players that are on the ballot at this point, we got nine pitchers um, in alphabetical order by their last name: Josh Beckett, AJ Burnett, Steve Ciszek, Jose Fernandez, Levon Hernandez, Josh Johnson, Al Leiter, Anibal Sanchez, and Dontrell Willis. If you have to pick one of those guys to start for you in a winner-take-all playoff game, everything on the line, you just need him at his best in that moment, who are you taking? I mean, I think the easy answer would be uh, Jose Fernandez. If you want a little bit of a harder answer, if Josh Johnson is healthy, because I know that that was his biggest crutch throughout his entire career with us, if Josh Johnson is healthy, I'd say him. Josh Beckett. Are we, are we considering Kevin three. Brown here or no? 
Well, well, we'll get to Kevin Brown in a moment. Okay. Because just a couple seasons with the team, uh, not officially on the ballot, but he's going to be a popular writing guy. But just among those nine pitchers, it's nine guys that were with the team a few years. Most of those guys got tested in the playoffs, but a few of them didn't. And that's going to be the big what if historically, those guys that didn't get to, a chance to even pitch in October. Josh Beckett, man. I mean, look at the guy, bro. He tore it up in the playoffs. He was buckling Jeter's knees. Got him. Two out. Eighth strikeout for Josh Beckett. Kareem Garcia, along with everybody else, looking for the fastball, and he didn't get it. I'm going to stand by that. I mean, you look at his numbers in 2003 World Series. I mean, he, he had two starts and he had a 1.1 ERA, even though he went one and one. I mean, the guy's clutch. I mean, this is who he is. So, yeah, absolutely. Give me give me some Josh Beckett for, for a win, one, one game only. Yeah. If you take out the playoffs, would you guys still vote Josh Beckett at all? Would you even consider him? No. 41 and 34, 3.4 ERA in five seasons, no awards, no. no. Marbles on the table. I'm going with Josh Beckett. Jack McKean showed it. Jack McKean said, yo, this is saying in Spanish, más sabe el diablo por viejo que por diablo. Look it up on Google. The Spanish people know what I'm talking about. It basically says that the devil knows more for being older than for being the devil. So you know what I'm saying? I'm going with Beckett because they gave him the ball. He was hungry. He had the stuff in the moment. He was in his prime. He went to Yankee Stadium. He went to Chicago. He did it against all odds. He did it against the Giants. The Red Sox. The Red Sox said, we want Josh Beckett if you want Hanley Ramirez. So you got to think about all these other things. And you also want to think about Josh Beckett in his final season. He pitched a no-hitter. So I'm just going to leave it at that. With with Beckett, like just focusing on the regular season stuff. So it was parts of five seasons before they traded him away. The Red Sox, 3-4-6 ERA. Um, and by fan graphs, combining the pitching and the hitting, uh, 14 wins above replacement, which puts him um, – it, it's kind of similar to Josh Johnson when you adjust for the era, except for the fact that Beckett didn't spend nearly as much time with the team during the regular season, didn't have as long of a regular season career. And I'd say his peak wasn't quite the same as, as Johnson. That's going to be such a big what if because – uh, I mean, Josh Johnson didn't even pitch in the majors after he turned 30. It all like ended so quickly for him. But um, and he's someone that if you're like really, really young, like I think the youngest people voting for this or the youngest people that just became fans, if they just became fans for whatever reason, like after the rebrand, and those are the ones that aren't going to appreciate how amazing JJ was like when he was healthy. He really Did- was um, just unstoppable when he was healthy. Yeah, for the younger listeners, JJ was. Jose before Jose. People used to go to his starts just for him. Um, we I remember we used to plan our the games we'd go to around when he was starting. We'd count the five games. Um, it's a shame what happened to him, his injuries. He could have been he could have been one of the greats, I think. But uh he's still all due respect to Josh Jansen. Like, yeah, he was a good pitcher and all, and I enjoyed him. And it's a shame that he was injury prone. But before Jose Fernandez, I think the pitcher that took over that 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 took that baton that would make fans come out to the stands was Dontrell Willis, the D train man. He would just go out there, fans would wild up. You want to go see a left handed the wind up. Oh, and when he'd get into the batter's box, he would get a double, a triple, a home run. The come commercial. on, man. It was all excitement the whole time. He had the he would steal bases. It was crazy. How many times would we see him at Shea Stadium? He would just hit home runs. 
of course, you have to uh, add in how much of a hitter he was. I think there was one year where actually Dontre Willis had the only grand slam for the Marlins that season. I think he did do it at Shea Stadium. I mean, if you look at Dontrell and you and you compare him to Jose, I mean, those are those fun pitches that make me love the National League. I mean, you, you would look at Jack McKean or you would look at uh, a pinch hitter and it'd be like, yo, put in Dontrell, put in Jose. And these guys would come off the bench, hit a double, hit a home run, hit a single. And it was just love. That's what I love about baseball, particularly National League baseball. It's like a chess game. You run out of uh, position players. Yo, D-Train, you want to take a base hit? Come on, man. Let me see what you got. Yeah, he, he was amazing, especially for the era that he was in. And I, I mean, now in baseball, and we're even trending in this direction where the rosters are going to be a little bit bigger. So like when you have those tricky decisions in the middle innings of the game of whether to leave the pitcher in, or whether to like get a bat off the bench, so you're going to see more and more of those pitchers leaving games early. But he was at his best. He was the guy that you didn't want to remove him for anybody. He, he was the guy that at his peak during some of those seasons – pretty close to a league average hitter, or at least a guy that had that league average power. You know, he would give you that a really good chance at an extra base hit if the game was tied or even if you were trailing. He, he was a guy that, yeah, you would keep him in because you actually trust him to hit in those situations. Uh, I mean, based on my own gut and based on how we kind of voted internally, it's really him and Jose that seem like the total locks to get in on this class. It'll probably be a couple other pitchers too, but those are the two that really ran away from it because I mean, what really drives Jose home aside from like all the positives about him as a pitcher is how well he did when he was pitching at Marlins park. I mean, the numbers are insane. Like he, pitching parts of four seasons at Marlins park and only losing twice in four years, parts of four years. Like there was just something special about how he connected with people. I just wanted to run back to Josh Johnson real quick because I feel like we really, like, I think the fans, they, they really need to know how special he actually was. Like, in his career for the Marlins, he had a 3.15 ERA and 916 innings, you know. If he's not if he's not actually on the team from 05 to 13, then do you think the Marlins are competitive at all? Probably not. They're probably one of the bottom half teams, and that changes completely the Marlins baseball. I'm kind of curious, though, if injuries didn't destroy his career, if we would have played it out 20 times, do you think this is probably one of the worst careers he, he ever has? Because I think he truly could have been special if not for the injuries that happened. I mean, couldn't you make the same argument for A.J. Burnett? I mean, A.J. Burnett was injury prone when he was a Miami Marlin. If you look at his overall numbers, he was 49, 49 wins, 50 losses as a Marlin. But, I mean, he threw a no-hitter with them. So who am I to say now? Nah, you always knew he was nasty when you would play on uh, MVP baseball you would pick an A.J. Burnett because you knew he had a nasty knuckle curveball. So. Yeah, and A.J. Burnett's no-hitter, though, is like – I don't want to, like, discount it at all because that's an impressive thing. And Marlins and the Marlins have thrown more no-nos than most other teams. They've already had seven of them, you know, across their relatively short history. But his was, his was a ride. His was a roller coaster. I think six or seven walks in that no-hitter. So he was really living on the edge. But he got it done. I mean, that- that's when I really learned how to, to go for that chant, you know what I'm saying? Atta kid, that's all right, man. You walked up, lead off, walk, it's all right. We're going to get the double play, kid. Atta kid, here we go, kid. That's all that was. <laughs> he was just helping himself out. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. <laughs> right. And what I was looking back at it, actually, and I mean, there's been a lot of times across Marlins history where you've seen their players get snubbed either for the end of season awards or even for all-star awards just because of the lack of visibility or if they were on those teams that weren't contending that much. And if you look at Burnett in, it was must've been 2002 that that was like, that was one of the most ridiculous snubs ever of of why he wasn't an all-star that year where he was throwing a ton of innings. He was throwing, he had a ton of strikeouts, like really right up there. It was Randy Johnson. There was Kurt Schilling. And then after that, he was like really in that second tier of the best pitchers in the first half of the season. And um, one of the fun facts about him is that like he didn't become an all-star until the very end of his career when he was in his late 30s. He had that weird resurgence when he returned to the National League. But yeah, he, he had those brief moments, you know, in between injuries early in his career when he had those stretches where he was pretty excellent. If not like an ace, then definitely a very strong number two pitcher on a competitive team. Um, and I mean, while, while we're still on pitchers, I, I guess, Tyler, if you wanted to go back to, uh, the Kevin Brown conversation, cause it was two seasons with the team it was a big deal when he arrived, but it was a bigger deal when they got rid of him right after 97, along with everybody else, you know, snapped their fingers and really tore down that entire team. But, uh, but in between he was, he was special. He was, he was the most consistent pitcher on that whole staff. Those couple of years that he was here. So, yeah, Kevin Brown to me, I, I've really been looking at it in our break. I've been really diving into Marlins history. And I actually think it's hard to say that Kevin Brown is not actually the most important player in Marlins franchise history, which is going to sound crazy to a lot of people because he only had two years there. But if, real number he's, 27. if he's not successful in the 96 season, do they have the push for the 97 World Series? Kevin Brown, if he's not successful when they, when not big, on that big free agent signing, does that actually lead to any World Series at all? Because you have to remember, and Kevin Brown in 98 was actually traded for Derek Lee, who was essential to the, to the 2003 World Series team. But that's not even taken for his perspective how good Kevin Brown was. He posted a 1.86 ERA in his first season with the Marlins. Oh, my bad, a 1.89 and 32 starts. That's amazing. He only walked, let me see, he only walked 33 batters. And 16 of those batters he actually hit. Like Kevin Brown was one of the best pitchers on the planet from 95 to 2003. He's second in the ERA. In that well, we saw Fernandez. He was one out of way in Chicago. Got him looking. It's a no-no. And Kevin Brown is being mobbed. 
The second no-hitter in Marlin history. The Giants had only one base runner on a hit batsman. Like, I think that we really got to factor in how amazing Kevin Brown was in that short stint of time and how many things that that actually opened up for the Marlins franchise in and of itself. Yeah, and, and he's someone that is also, in terms of the Baseball Hall of Fame, he's someone that has a really compelling case that for whatever reason didn't get a whole lot of strong consideration from the writers when they're voting for the you know the big baseball hall. And some of that may have been that they just didn't like him personally. Another part of that may have been just pitching at this time where the, the peak of the steroid era, era, where all these run scoring was really blown out of proportion. And it, it was sometimes difficult to like put into perspective how important a pitcher was if the run scoring like this was so elevated that he, he sometimes gets discounted unless you really pour into the league adjusted stats for how important he was. He, he's someone that's probably going to have a, a chance at that, whether it's on like a veterans committee or sometime way after the fact to be reevaluated in like a new light. And just, I mean, based on the sentiment I've been seeing, I mean, we're not going to put him in this year with this particular class, the Marlins Hall of Fame, but there's been enough support, you know, from you and from others as well that he's definitely going to be on the ballot for the upcoming years as like a writing guy. So we're, I'll have to reevaluate the whole system. I don't want to take this thing too seriously because I came up with the guidelines for this and the candidates, you know, pretty quickly, you know, in a matter of hours, just think like trying to lay it out to make it seem right, to make it seem appropriate. And he's definitely more so than anybody. He's probably someone that fell through the cracks of the guidelines that we set up. Um, any other um, snubs you think of these pitchers that had really short stints with the team or guys, uh, even particular relievers? Because the one reliever in the mix here is Steve Ciszek. And uh, I have a feeling he's not going to get in quite because even though he had some high moments, uh, just like any other reliever, he's kind of inconsistent. But just thinking back, I, I guess it's the case with any reliever in Marlins history that over the course of, if you're pitching important innings at the end of the game, and if like one little mistake is going to screw it up for the whole team, relievers are never like as beloved as the best kind of starters are. But just historically through the team, yeah, whether it's with some of the playoff runs or even at any other point in history, is is there any closer or setup guy that uh, that you think was really important to uh, this whole team's history and what they accomplished? I don't know if he's important, but um, Antonio Fonseca was pretty good for a little bit there. Six and years. The Dragon Slayer, he actually got MVP votes one year, uh, 45 saves in a season. He's uh, If you're going to have Ciszek up there, you should definitely have him too. Sorry, it's a pretty similar stat line to Steve Ciszek was A.J. Ramos, who was pitching almost at the same time. Uh, he only has two saves less than Steve Ciszek. His ERA was 278 compared to Steve Ciszek, who was 286. A.J. Ramos? No way, man. Eric Ramos. That's what I would call him from the stands. Every time <laughs> this guy would have to walk somebody, he'd love to see, like, blood on his own face. He'd have to get two pieces before he could get a couple outs. Like, I Game feel like, yeah, he would get stats, he would get saved, but nah, I, no way I'm getting A.J. Ramos to save the game for me. Not unless I'm trying to have a heart attack. That's like putting in Braden Looper. Are you crazy? He's dope. Well, with Ramos, yeah, it was more of an adventure. Definitely had uh, someone that would put on more extra base runners wasn't as efficient with his pitch counts, but if, yeah, if you look at like the overall uh, results, I mean, it is pretty close, but you're right. He's, he's someone that people, you were uncomfortable with. That's, that's the case yeah, with a lot of these relievers, but yeah. <laughs> what about Armando Benitez? 
Benitez. Oh, Mondo Benitez had a great season for us. What he had, 42 or 47 saves for us? He had the little kick, the little leg kick. He was nice, chill. Yeah. Um, that was that era. That was that era when the Marlins would bring back veteran closers that were looking for second opportunities. Armando Benitez, Todd Jones. Yeah, I mean that's often the name of the game. You know, it's hard to find like a homegrown, consistent reliever. That's what made Cishek and to some extent Ramos kind of a rare kind of exceptions to the rule, where you know you develop them mm-hmm. as late round draft picks and they end up you know contributing to you year after year. But for the most part. When you're building that bullpen, you just roll the dice on guys who have done it before. You know, the, the proven closer or someone that just has a certain type of like intangible to them, and uh, you just like you, you take your chances on that. And sometimes you you do really well with those free agents, and sometimes you get you know Junichi Tazawa, and <laughs> and you miss. When you think of, we'll go to Anthony on this. When you think of those people that didn't play for the team, um, but had those direct involvement with the team and are still like synonymous with the Marlins, who comes to mind? My number one guy, I'm going to butcher his name, and I, I hope I get his name. I think his name was Joseph Servon something. You guys know him as the pin guy. Um, his vest and his hat is still at the stadium, I believe, last I checked. Uh, he was at every game. He wore the teal jersey under. Um, he wore the pins on his vest. A lot of people don't know about him. And man, you could go up to that guy and talk to him about anything. I remember when I was a kid, I'd remember walking up to him and, um, he was always willing to talk, answer any questions. He had like every pin possible. And, uh, for me, he's, the we need to get him his, his stuff's already at the stadium. Let's just put it in the hall of fame. Uh, other names that came to mind, uh, Jack McKeon, obviously taking over in 03 and people actually, sometimes underrate historically how competitive the team was still in 2004. And then especially in 2005, like how much talent they had that year. And McKeon was managing the team that whole time. So even though it was like a short, someone that obviously people remember and adore for a lot of reasons. I found his name. Uh, My bad guys. I, it's not the name I said. It's Luis Mendes senior. Luis Mendes senior is his name. The pin man. All right. Well, go go ahead, Krutchik. Oh no, I was just gonna. Uh, I was uh, piggybacking off what you said. They were making a playoff push in 2005 when they traded for Paul Laduca and Carlos Delgado. I mean, yeah, they were. People say that 2003 and 97 were like the only good years, but 2004 and 2005, like they were playoff expectations. It's it's a little tricky, I guess, with these non-players because even though people are optimistic about where the franchise is headed right now, uh, just over these past couple of years since the ownership transition. I don't want to make those guys eligible for the Hall of Fame yet. If I did, people would probably try to vote in Derek Jeter already, even though they haven't actually won anything at this moment since he took over. So I'm going to hold off before making those kind of guys eligible for this kind of exercise. It'll be a few years down the line. And Michael Hill has been with the team a long time, but we know some of the some of the questionable transactions that were made under his watch, you know, a few years ago before things switched up. So I don't think he's going to be a candidate either for this kind of thing. Well, I mean, I think someone that you have to consider is Dave Dombrowski. I mean, he's the first general manager in the history that was hired. Uh, I mean, he worked under Wayne, uh, who was, we all know, might have been a little bit of nuts of an owner. He hired Jim Leland. He signed, signed, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Miguel Cabrera. Like, I mean, look at the guy, Dave Dombrowski. He had, I mean, he does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But I think people do forget a lot about 
Dave Dombrowski's beginning in Florida and how he actually took off and how it changed the team. You also got to, I mean, I know you said you don't add owners, but you definitely got to add uh, Wayne H. in there, man, for sure. He actually brought Marlins baseball to Florida, and I'll, I don't want to go into uncharted waters and speak about he who we must not name, but he also helped bring that, that stadium. He also helped taxes that stadium as Miami resident. So uh, maybe he needs to be in there. Um, but what about Billy, man? We got to have a whole section for Billy the Marlin. You got to see the whole evolution of Billy the Marlin. Can we get a picture of like the, the original Billy the Marlin to the current Billy the Marlin? It's crazy. Yeah, didn't you do an article on that uh, last year about all the different versions, the different costumes he's worn through the years and how he's changed? Because there's been a lot of them. People, it's kind of surprising when you look back on it, how, I mean, how ridiculous he looked at the beginning. And um, there's been at least five or six different versions of like what he's looked like. Some of it, you know, would go along with the rebranding of the team a couple of times, but also just like the different concepts that they've gone with that. And for the longest time, it was the same guy in that costume until just a couple of years ago when they finally made a change um, with a <laughs> actor in there. There was a Billy Jr. at one point. Exactly. Yeah, the whole the whole tradition of the spinoff character. Okay, the manatee area. The manatee area. The manatees? Yeah. Yeah, it was the same time as the manatee area, wasn't it? Back in the pro uh, yeah. player days. Another fan, a super fan, that Marlins Maniac from back in the day. A lot of you guys are going to be like, who the hell is that? Um, there's so many fans, man. It's all, the Chewbacca guy. Well, what about a Rich Waltz and Tommy Hutton? Has anyone said that yet? In. I vote them in. Yeah, part of their charm was how well they worked together. Yeah. yeah you got to put in uh, fellow Ramirez. Hello. 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 Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Come on, Doug. Come on, man. Am I the only one in here? I can't be. I'm from Miami. I used to listen to him every every day with my grandfather. Man, yeah. It hit me when it hit me when Fellow died because I was listening to Yuki and I always like that's the only voice I always heard. You know what I'm saying? It's like what the Yankees fans had with their narrator. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, wow, fellow died, and I couldn't imagine anybody else narrating another game for the Marlins in Spanish. And now, yeah, you know, we got Jose Luis Napoles now, and Beto Ferreira, and that's cool. But Ferreira just left his mark, and we've got to have him in there. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> it'd be kind of disrespectful if we didn't because he's, I believe he has a place in the big National Baseball Hall of Fame, too. You know, if they're willing yeah, to put yeah. him in, then, then obviously, specific to the Marlins baseball, he'd be there as well. And, uh, yeah, that, that's a good one. That's a good one. I think he's a lock at yeah. this point. And there's going to be more episodes of this pod um, coming up as, as we break down other aspects of the hall. Like I said, the, the fan voting is going to stay open till April 19th or so. And uh, we'll probably wait a few days after that before announcing all the, the outcomes of it all. But uh, we'll be sure to break down how some of us voted individually, look at the percentages of everything. And then we're going to have some fun with like some multimedia stuff to put together and try to honor these players. And if all goes right, once we pick out the hall of fame class, have some of those players come on with us to have some exclusive interviews with the players 
But uh, thank you to all of you guys, Alex Krutchik, Tyler Wilson, Anthony Wright Garcia, Alex Contreras with Eli Sussman. Our overview of the Marlins Hall of Fame ballot for 2020. Get out the vote and go fish. <laughs>